here for Mon moving to his right looking deep got a receiver it's caught Chapman touchdown welcome to the Thursday episode of the high motor podcast this is the pre-week seven episode Andrew Dowdy Chase Kitty here talking college football not talking chlamydia we're not going to do that today are we whoa (laughs) right out of the gate We'll tuck that one away for a slow week in the offseason, maybe. Maybe have a You're Wrong sponsored by Chlamydia. What we're not going to tuck away is some Week 7 betting chatter from you, sir, because you suggested we talk about Chlamydia. But I think we'll probably talk about some college football here. Not the most loaded week with headliners. (laughs) So you're just throwing me under the bus like that, huh? No context whatsoever. We're just... We're just letting the people know, like, hey, what do you want to talk about this week, Chase? Oh, I don't know, chlamydia. George and Alabama are playing football this weekend, though. Mm, speaking of chlamydia. I want I want to get to that in a minute, but I'm guessing you are going to see some value across a board that as of, we're talking here on Wednesday, heads up in case you see any different uh, numbers that we bring up. I'm, I'll be referencing Bavada Lines. Also, your most used book. From my count right now, Thursday evening, 30 lines as of right now, including a little high-motor rivalry line. West Virginia hosting Kansas, 22.5-point favorites, West Virginia. We talk a lot about public perception really every week and the importance of understanding what the public is thinking, how oddsmakers are reacting to that, and then setting lines to get equal betting on both sides of the line there. But... I don't know that we've gone that deep into really bad teams. I mean, you mentioned bad teams a lot and trying to find value there, but I don't know that we've ever gone deep into a program that's been this bad for this long. How do you approach, I mean, you talked about Kansas Baylor a couple of weeks ago. I think the line was 17 and a half maybe, and you barely nailed the under on that game. How do you approach Kansas lines generally? Like specifically this game, does 22 and a half seem a little light to you? Generally, do odds makers realize how the public is evaluating Kansas now after a decade of pure shit? Well, I think, first of all, to speaking to your one of your first points there about the marketplace and about setting lines to get equal action, if you're going to bet these games where it, it involves Kansas, it involves UMass, it involves like these teams that everybody knows are just not good, you're going to pay a tax. You're going to pay extra. The The line's going to be juiced to 115 or 120. There's going to be an extra two, three, three and a half points in there that you're going to have to lay. Like, that's just what the books have to do to protect themselves. Now, in one instant, in, in one way of thinking that actually gives value to these teams, I'm going to tell you, and it's not just because they're playing my Mountaineers, I'm going to tell you, if you are betting Kansas, especially in this spot this week, you're just, that's that's not responsible. Get like, off the show right now. We don't even want your numbers. Yeah, that's just, don't, you can't you can't bet Kansas in this spot. They're, they're not getting enough points. I think this number is where it is because sports books, and I, I would argue even the public at large, does not think super highly of this West Virginia team. And, you you know, you might be right to think that. You might be actually maybe a little slow to adjust because uh, I, I I texted you something this week about like I'm not totally convinced that this West Virginia team sucks. 
I think they're trying to figure some stuff out offensively. They're kind of up and down. This might be the best defense in the Big 12. I'm not I'm not ready to say they are, but I'm also not ready to say they're not. So I think the line here, it's about a difference between what the public at large and sports books think about West Virginia versus what they might actually be. I would argue this line needs to be closer to 30. And at 22 and a half, I think there is a little bit of value on West Virginia. I don't see Kansas scoring more than 10 to 14 points. So you're talking about West Virginia needing to get to around 30, maybe, to cover this. And I think that's pretty doable, especially coming off of a bye. I feel like the Baylor win, in some cases, after a win like that, you think, okay, now they're going to be overvalued. I still think they're undervalued here. So I kind of think West Virginia is a nice little bet. I wouldn't go crazy. You're still laying three-plus touchdowns with a team that... We don't quite know what to do with them yet, so don't go nuts. This isn't like some 10-unit play or anything, but I think West Virginia is a nice little side to bet on this week. Let's move to that headliner, Georgia-Alabama. Before we get to this, I mean, you're fully aware of how bizarre the cross-divisional SEC schedule is. Since they met in Tuscaloosa in 1994, how many times do you believe Georgia and Alabama, both in the same conference, have met in Tuscaloosa since 1994? Oh, jeez. I was looking up just to kind of get a feel of, because I was trying to remember when Georgia last won. They last won in 2007. They've lost, well, five straight, uh, two of which were SEC championship games, and then obviously the national championship game uh, now two years, well, two and a half years back, I guess almost three years back. So since 94, they met in Tuscaloosa in 91, because he used to be played in, in Birmingham all the time in Athens, obviously. Uh, when... Sorry, they met in 1991-1994. How many times since then have they played in Tuscaloosa? I'm going to say two. Two times. Yeah. 2002. They haven't played there since 2007. They've met in the regular season one time since 2008. 28, 2000, excuse me, 2008 in Athens, 2015 in, in Athens, and those three postseason games. That's not a conference opponent. We're not going to talk about the SEC schedule here, but this is like my monthly, what the fuck are they doing? You're in the same goddamn conference. Alabama, almost a touchdown favorite in this game, six and a half right now is what I'm seeing. Total is 57 on this. Obviously, everybody will be watching this. This is the headliner game of the season thus far. It might prove to be the headliner game of the season until we do get to conference championships and the playoffs. Should people take this? Should they avoid this game even though they're watching it? What are you going to do on it? All right, so here, here's the way I'm looking at this. I've seen pros breaking this down from every possible angle. So it, I think it's turned into one of those games that you are going to see things the way you want to see them, and you're going to find your angle, and there's going to be pros on both sides of this. So in that respect, there's not necessarily a sharp angle on this game. What I see is two teams that when they play, they are generally both very good, and the games are pretty competitive. Look back to the last couple times that Alabama and Georgia have played in those really high-profile games that you mentioned, the SEC Championship and then the, and then the playoff. Those were games that Georgia not only could have won, probably should have won. Yeah, even going back to 2012, I mean, there was a the blowout in 2015, but three of their last four games have been decided by 7-3 and four points. And even 2008, I mean, we're going way back there. 
Uh, but still an 11-point game there. And you talked about last week, I think I asked you, do you really buy into, I think we were talking about uh, Dallas and, or excuse me, Texas and Oklahoma, do you really buy into that much of, well, whenever these guys meet, it's going to be a close game, and it seems like you kind of do. Yeah, it, it, I not just automatically because that's what happens when these two teams get together down on the plains, nothing like that or anything, but it's just the recent history suggests that. Now, combine that with the idea you sent me this uh, this this stat that Chris Falica tweeted uh, earlier in the week. Alabama has the worst three and out rate yes. in the country. The Tide has forced just three in thirty four drives this season. That's eight point eight percent. So when you combine the recent history and that particular stat about how Alabama's defense actually might not be all that great this year compared to the usual Tuscaloosa standard. I think Georgia plus the points is the side that I would want to be on. I think the total is really interesting here as well. I've seen some people throwing around the stat that Georgia, they're nine and one to the under in their last 10 SEC games, which is pretty incredible. I still think the over is actually the play here. In spite of that stat, we just said what we said about the Alabama defense we know that the Alabama offense is pretty good this year. They score points. They dropped 60 on Ole Miss last week. Now, that's Ole Miss. Uh, so, you know, Georgia's defense is a whole different animal. But I still don't think it's unrealistic to think you could get some sort of 35-32 game here where the offenses are the defenses are good, but the offenses just find ways to score points and get in the end zone. I think if you're going to play this, I think a parlay is interesting. I think a Georgia plus the six or the six and a half, depending on the book, parlayed with the over could be an interesting uh, option here. I do like the over a little bit. I have a lean on Georgia plus the points. I do like a lot of other plays better than this. So, you know, it's something you hear me say on this podcast probably a lot if you listen every week and you listen to the gambling episodes. Don't try to force a bet on the biggest game of the week just because you want to have action on a big game. Like, I do have leans here that I feel stronger about than some of the other big games. So I will probably have a small play on the under. I will probably do that parlay I just talked about. But this is a small play for me. This is not something I'm super confident in. I'm going to have more units, heavier heavier flow, heavier money, heavier sides in other games this week. Before we get to those other games, the last thing here before you rattle off, whatever, 10 or 12 games for us, best bets, Sticking kind of with this Georgia-Alabama game, because that is so strong the headline of this week, we don't even really have a second or arguably a third-tier game that is going to be getting a lot of eyeballs. There are two other eight Eastern games, uh, Georgia-Alabama, eight, eight Eastern, for those of you who didn't know. There are two other eight Eastern games, Boston College, Virginia Tech, FIU, Charlotte, and then two 7.30 Eastern games, UNC, Florida State, Southern Miss, UTEP. Unless I just missed it, there are none after that. So there are no other games to start after 8 Eastern. So for a good three and a half hours, basically every eyeball will be on Georgia, Alabama. Maybe this is a dumb question for you, but I'm still curious. Can you find any value in games like that that are going up against such a blockbuster in Alabama, Georgia, because people just aren't paying as close attention to those games this week? Uh, I don't know. I think it would be highly situational. I, I, I'm not going to say there's no situation where that comes into play, uh, where one game sucks up all, this, all the oxygen in one particular time slot, and so maybe something gets undervalued or doesn't get looked at. Uh, I, I just think that's super situational. 
I do like some of the lines in this late time frame on Saturday, but I don't think it has anything to do with Alabama, Georgia. I think it's more just about line movement and value and overcorrections and a lot of the things we regularly talk about. All right, let's let you run here. What are those other lines that you love? What are your best bets for this week? Well, first of all, talking about just the those games in that later window, we've got two ACC contests. Number one is North Carolina going down to Florida State. I heard some analysts, I don't remember who it was, say that you know they, they were doing a segment about you know who's that number four team, and somebody thought it was North Carolina, and I was like, wow, I'm not even ready to go anywhere near there. You know, like number four North Carolina, they just gave up like 45 points to Virginia Tech and half of an offense. It just I, I think the the overhype on North Carolina probably grows after this past week. And so now you go down to Florida State, admittedly a team that has their own issues. But I did think they looked better last week against Notre Dame. So we talked a little bit about that whole idea of Norvell making midseason adjustments and maybe that team evolving and getting better as the season goes on. I think you need more than a one-game sample size there. But that could be why they covered last week in South Bend. When you look at the North Carolina-Florida State game, North Carolina opens as a nine and a half point favorite on the road. Already, that's a that seems like a trap number. Like they're trying to bait you to take that North Carolina side because it's right on the underside of ten. That line has actually moved all the way up to thirteen point five right now. So, in terms of counterplays, I think there is some value there on Florida State. I do think it's tough coming in on the Florida State side because they were so bad the first month of the season. But, I mean, 9.5 to 13.5, you're getting four extra points there on a line that already kind of looked like a trap in the first place. I do think the sharp play here is to play the number, not the ugly team. I would take Florida State plus the 13.5 here as a home dog. I think that's an interesting play. Again, I don't know that I would lay the lumber really heavy on it, but there are a lot of things that you like in that particular play. Uh, what would you lay the lumber heavy on, Chase Kitty? Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to a couple I like. I want to stay in this in this late one. How did you not pick up on that at all? I don't know. I'm just I'm just zoned Jesus in, man. Christ. What do you want from me? I, we, you, we're, we're talking about chlamydia and all the. It's just an already off the rails episode Jesus here. Jesus Christ! Uh, Keep going. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the other late game in the ACC there is Boston College at Virginia Tech, and this is I, I think the theme that I'm building toward this week is overcorrections and counterplays where. I'm seeing so much line movement. I think we're getting to that part of the season where people really feel like they know who pe- who teams are, and that's where you can get really dangerous. That's, wh- that's where people start to make a lot of mistakes when they feel like they know everything. So Boston College has the win last week with Pitt. Virginia Tech defensively looks like an absolute train wreck in Chapel Hill last year or last week. Now you've got BC coming down to Blacksburg. They're an 11.5 or 12-point underdog in Blacksburg, depending on the book you're looking at. Now you're thinking, wow, that's an overcorrection in terms of value? I would argue, yeah, it is. It's still Boston College. They haven't left Massachusetts in about a month. So they're going on the road, I believe, for the first time since they played Duke. And that's not, especially with this year's Duke team, that's not exactly a huge conference challenge. Tech is starting to get some players back. I personally will not bet this game because I bet on the Virginia Tech game three weeks in a row and I'm 0 for 3 ATS. So I'm just not playing Virginia Tech, maybe for the rest of the season, certainly not this week. But 
it's hard to not see the value in how this line can change. I think you're going to see Boston College go from 11.5 or 12 all the way down south of 10, and there's definitely going to be some Virginia Tech buyback value if you let the line keep going down. I also am looking at the total that's gone from 57.5 to 62. That seems really high. I know that Virginia Tech has been in some crazy high-scoring games the last few weeks, but I've got to think that there's a counterplay there on the under. So you can see what it gets to, but it's already four and a half points north of where it opens. It's already up at 62, so maybe keep an eye on both of those lines. Going into the, some of the ones I really like, uh, sticking with this idea of counterplays, we've got SMU Tulane. Uh, I don't know that I like a side there, but if you've watched any of Southern Methodist this year, they are high-scoring games, and they did just lose a receiver and who's he's, he's going to miss the rest of the year, but still, they're very high-scoring games. Taking one piece out of there is not going to disrupt the offense. They're still going to score a bunch of points. Tulane can, some, can score some points as well. They dropped a 60-burger a few weeks ago. So this line has actually gone down from 67.5 to 64.5. I don't love that pro money, because that's the only thing that moves a line like this is pro money. I don't love the fact that's moved three points in the opposite direction of my lean. At the same time, when a line moves down, that's when you counter, right? So I feel like I'm getting more value to the over than I did when it opened, and I liked the over to begin with. So small play on over 64.5. Navy ECU, pretty much the same thing. Lined up, the total opened at 61. It's down to 58. ECU plays very little defense this year. They just don't have the pieces yet for Houston's system. Go look at all of their scores. They're all crazy high scoring. Navy, kind of the same thing. I think their secondary is really susceptible. I like the over here, and it's three points lower than it opened, so I'm getting good value. Give me the over 58. Pitt at Miami. So Pitt opens as a 9.5-point underdog at Miami. That's already gone up to 10.5. I don't really care. I think my, Miami has shown us that with this year's team specifically, you can lay some points with them in cover. This is a good spot for Miami because they're coming off the Clemson game. This is the lowest their value's probably been all year. I think they're going to beat Pitt. I think they're going to get up early on Pitt, and Pitt doesn't really have the offense to get into a shootout with Miami, so I do think that they could cover a big number, and honestly, 105 is not even that big. They covered that with plenty of room to spare at Louisville, So, and that was on the road. So give me Miami minus the 10.5. Clemson at Georgia Tech. This, uh, this is another counter total play that I'm looking at. Total opens at 59.5. It's up to 63.5. That seems really high. I get that Georgia Tech just played in a really high-scoring game with Louisville, but scoring points on Louisville at home and scoring points on Clemson is not the same you know, thing at all. So I like the under there, under 63.5. UCF is a 3.5-point favorite at Memphis. Uh, I think this opened at 2.5. And it's up to three and a half. I still like UCF at three and a half. I don't think Memphis is as good as they were last year. I think UCF has showed that they kind of own Memphis these last couple years, including a, a few games that Memphis probably should have won, like last year's. But UCF just finds a way to win. I do worry a little bit about laying three plus the hook on the road at a borderline conference rival. But I just think UCF's way better. They had a bye and they lost that game two weeks ago. So I feel like they're motivated. I'm getting a motivated team laying a small number. I know I have the better team. So give me UCF. Ole Miss at Arkansas. Arkansas was only 
Arkansas is a four-point home dog to Ole Miss. How does that happen? That makes no sense to me at all. It's already been bet down to two and a half. Give me Arkansas plus the points. I think they're going to win outright. I'm not even going to think about that. I like North Texas plus the seven at Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee should not be laying points in any game, let alone a full touchdown. North Texas is not great either, but it's just way too many points to give up. So I like North Texas plus the seven. And then a couple of weird lines here. I mean, really weird ones here. you got to be very careful with the next couple games I'm going to rattle off. Auburn, I, I especially want your opinion on this one, actually, Andrew. Auburn is going to Columbia. They're a three-point road favorite at South Carolina. What do you think about that? I actually just was looking at that game because I wanted to ask you about it if you didn't bring it up. It, I'm seeing now bump to three and a half. I, I don't bet that much on college football. If I did, I would never touch Auburn in any game ever, no matter what the line is. Maybe that's just because I'm sick of watching Auburn. They kind of feel like when, I guess it still happens, like when the NFL will just shove the Cowboys and the Giants on primetime football all the damn time, no matter how bad they were the year before, no matter how bad they're supposed to be this year. That's just what I feel like with Auburn. I'm I'm just sick of watching this dink and dunk offense that throws behind the line of scrimmage 90% of the time on like third and four to throw a little bubble screen. So that, I know that's not even really answering your question, but I wouldn't even touch this game ever, mostly because I, in this case, I don't even care about the two teams because I think they're so poorly coached. I can't watch any more of South Carolina because I can't watch what Will Muschamp does every single game. I know that's not an answer to your question, but I wouldn't touch this at all. Yeah, that's an interesting point about Muschamp because it does feel like he's kind of, he's borderline dead man walking at Just this point. Just move on. I don't even know what the buyout is. I don't have a pull up in front of me. Like he, he clearly is not turning this around. I get that Spurrier probably raised the expectations too much about what South Carolina could do, but this is still a really good job. Just pay the damn buyout and move on. Yeah, and it, it feels like my issue with him is he doesn't have any moves. Like, I don't, I, I get that he's, you know, defensively supposed to be good, but like, it just feels like this team doesn't really have an identity. They just kind of exist in the SEC. Mm-hmm. So w- when I back an underdog, I, I think one of the things I intrinsically want to feel like is that you have some pathway to winning. And I don't know what his pathway to winning is other than the team on the other end in this particular case seems to have pathways to losing. So I kind of get what you're saying about Such you a good way of putting it. Thank you. It's it's nothing about I South Carolina. I, again, I'm not going to watch this game at all. I, I just have zero interest in it, but that's a perfect way of putting it. It's nothing about South Carolina. This yeah. is 100% about Auburn for me. And it's, it, I think if you're going to back this game, I think you have to back South Carolina because this number is just weird. It, it's, I don't really think that Auburn is a top 25 team at this point. I mean, I think they've kind of played their way out of the top 25 despite the fact that they've, you know, the, the, the record might not suggest that. The level of play on the field has suggested that. This is a weird line. This is a classic, like, smelly road favorite kind of thing. Uh, so I would be back in South Carolina plus the points if you're going to bet this at all. Another very odd one, another one that I, I kind of want to get your reaction on. A little farther down down the book probably, but Cincinnati at Tulsa, three-point road favorite. It's three and a half at some books. It's three at other books. Cincinnati at Tulsa. Cincinnati's like into the top 10 in right. some polls, and they're only a three-point favorite at Tulsa. 
This line, the total has gone from 49 down to 44. So you're losing more than, what, more than 10%, more than well, 5 Well, it just dropped. I had saw I saw 44 earlier today, and now I just pulled it up again. Now it's at 43.5. Right, so it's already dropped more than 10%. Of the like the percentage of the total, it's down ten percent. More than ten. How much 10%. of this is I don't even know if this is technically lazy betting, but how much of this is because Tulsa uh played UCF well and beat UCF, how much of this is people saying, Well, I mean, Cincinnati UCF last year, and now we get to this year, and Tulsa did beat UCF and I mean, talk about public perception. This game is absolutely fascinating from a public perception standpoint. Because even though Cincinnati is really good, and I think you and I know they're really good and I don't know if they're eight, like in the country. I don't know if they're that good, but they're they're like a top thirteen to fourteen team, definitely in college football. And yet, it just feels like this year nobody cares about the group of five, and it's unfortunate because there are still some really really good teams out there. But you talk about the public perception of them, and then the public perception of a complete afterthought team in Tulsa, who, in my opinion, yeah, they've underachieved under Philip Montgomery, but. They're pretty decent this year. They haven't been as bad over the last few years, I think, as most people would think they are. I think they, I don't want to say like they're thrown in that UTEP, UMass, UConn category, but they're pretty darn close to it, and they're not that bad of a team. So from a perception standpoint, this game is absolutely fascinating. I I can't believe that Cincinnati has only three and a half on this game. If you would have asked me before I pulled it up, right. I would have guessed Cincinnati eight or nine minimum. Yes, I would have thought like that's eight and a half kind of kind of deal, nine and a half maybe. Yeah, I think it's uh I think this is another one kind of like South Carolina where it's like the number is telling me it's Tulsa or pass. Like you gotta be real careful in this spot. I do think a counterplay on the over I mean, if it continues to drop, I'm going to see how low it goes. Because if it's at 43 and a half, we're recording this Wednesday evening. I mean, it could drop below 42 by kickoff. That's not that crazy. We're only a point and a half away from that. And that's a pretty that's a pretty big key number. If you get a line that drops like 15% of its total from the start of the week to the end of the week, I mean, that's you have to play that as a counter. You have to come back on the over. So that might be one of my biggest plays of the week. I couldn't. I I have no confidence in Cincinnati and Tulsa's offenses putting up a bunch of points, turning it into some Big Twelve game or something. But I mean, that's just that's just straight betting principle. Is when the number drops four, five, six, seven points, you have to come back on the over. So we're talking here, and this will air actually on Thursday morning, so this will be old news by the time you guys hear it, but there was just an alert that came through that Saban tested positive for COVID. I know you're just reacting to this, but how does, does the, is the line going to move, do you think, for this game now? Yes. Actually, this so this would, this would almost change how I feel about this game because I f- I'm totally guessing I'm you just told me that for the first time so and their eight their AD and saving both tested positive not that the AD is going to move this line but I'm curious what your initial reaction to this is right so I'm wondering first of all is this game going to get played at this point because we've already seen the Florida game get canceled so if the game gets played how much effect does Saban's presence on the side excuse me on the sideline affect Alabama and the, the the vibe I've always gotten is that Saban is the CEO and that he's not necessarily, he's just running the operation. I don't know how heavily he's involved late in the week in like coming up with 
specific matchup game plans. I, I think he has a really good staff, and they handle that, and that's why they're such a machine. So I could be totally wrong on that, but that's always been my understanding of how Alabama works and why they've been good for this long, is they just have a great staff, and Saban runs it super effectively. So it feels to me like Alabama could go from a six or six and a, six and a half point favorite, maybe all the way down to like four, three and a half, three, two and a half. And at that point, I think there's great buyback on Alabama. Uh, even though I liked Georgia like 20 minutes ago, I could see this dropping to the point where Alabama becomes actually a smart counterplay. Yeah, and this will be really interesting for those of you that will pick this up right away on Thursday morning, or even if you, you listen to it on Friday or Saturday, seeing how much that line is moved. All right, we'll be back on Monday looking back at storylines that emerged in Week 7, uh, probably talking a lot about the, the storylines and the potential scenarios that came from that Georgia-Alabama game, hopefully that is played, and then going into Week 8 as the Big Ten kicks off. And then we're back here one week from now, Thursday, that's the 22nd, with hopefully a nice slate of lines to break down with more games on the schedule. I'm sure you'll have a lot to talk about with so many teams joining that foray. Thanks for making the High Motor Podcast a part of your college football week. Hopefully you make it a part of your week next week, starting on Monday. I saw a friend today, it had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in